So hello, I'm Alex Rakim. I'm a barrister at Thurton and Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm really pleased to be today to be joined in a, what is actually to be honest, a very hot shed um, uh, from uh, virtually by Professor Rosie Harding. Uh, those of you who have seen any of these uh, shedinars before, these in conversations with before, know I'm, I'm much more interested in the person I'm talking to introducing themselves. So Rosie, over to you. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Uh, hi Alex and everyone, thanks very much for the invite to come along and participate in one of your Shedinars. Um, I'm Professor of Law and Society at the University of Birmingham uh, and I'm Chair of the Socio-Legal Studies Association and a lot of my research focuses on how law works in everyday life uh, and I've done a lot of work over the last 10 years or so in the mental capacity domain so I've done work looking at people with living with dementia, um, carers of people living with dementia, professional carers and people living with um, brain injury, people with learning disability and their experience of how law works in their lives. So that's what I'm interested in specifically is how law works in everyday life and how we can make it work better for people who are disadvantaged and particularly at the moment disabled people. There are so many fascinating things that you've got you have done and worked on and so many things I'd like to ask you about Rosie but just uh, partly if no other reason for time we've sort of alighted on one one area of your current research um, which we've sort of I'd really like you to tell us about so what's uh, what's that and let rip as it were? Um, well the thing that I'm sort of obsessing about at the moment if you like the thing that's really taking up my focus is um, the importance of accessible information uh, as a way of improving equality avoiding discrimination and supporting disabled people particularly people with cognitive impairments that affect their ability to read or process information um, to participate fully in life um, make their own decisions, live the kind of ordinary lives that all the rest of us take for granted. So that's what I'm interested in and wanted to talk to you about is accessible information and um, why I think that most service providers could do a lot more uh, in terms of providing accessible information and where I think we need to pay a bit more attention to the law as it currently stands around accessible information. You know, disabled people already have a right to reasonable adjustments from service providers to accessible information under the Equality Act, Section 20 of the Equality Act, to be specific and precise about it all. Um, you know, this, this, is, this has been in force for a very long time, and yet um, accessible information is few and far between about legal topics. Um, and I think that that's something that we can all do, some, do a lot to address without taking a lot of time um, or money to do so. So, so that's no, brilliant, brilliant. So when you say service providers, I mean, uh, across the piece, all forms of service providers or what, what, what's the sort of area of focus that you're specifically grappling with? Um, so all service providers have the same duty under yes. the Equality Act and it's an anticipatory duty. So they need to think about the potential for people with disabilities requiring accessible information before they have to ask for it. Um, I'm obviously particularly interested in legal service providers um, because I'm interested in law and how it works in people's lives. Um, but there's also uh, health and social care providers as well. And there, there's, a, there's an additional duty on health and social care providers to provide accessible information. That's the NHS accessible information standard that's been in force since 2016. And of course, there's the 2018 um, EU directive. I might have got one year wrong there. Uh, anyway, there's an EU directive that's been translated into 
English law, uh, UK law around uh, accessibility for public sector websites and mobile applications. So all public sector websites should be accessible and conform to the web content accessibility guidelines 2.1, which were published in 2018. So that already exists. There's already specific duties on public sector providers, uh, as well as the general duty in the Equality Act to provide accessible information. Um, providing accessible information is not straightforward. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily an easy thing to do, um, but there are ways to do it. And there are people who know a lot about doing it well. And I think trying to join those things together is important. Yeah, actually, as you were speaking, I was I was sort of wondering whether I should next ask you, give me a really bad example of something really bad or give me an example of something which is good. I think you might have to focus on good, if you see what I mean, because I'm sure you could come up with endless examples of things which are just done really badly. But I'd just be interesting to hear, especially in the kind of, you know, the area where, you know, there's, a, there's something complex which somebody with a disability might need to navigate. Mm. you know something a complex area of the law say and how is it that you can you know the easy well whether it, uh, let's not say easy read to start with the accessible version you know which allows the person to navigate is there any if there are no examples of anything good at all that's a learning point there are loads of research if there's you know stuff that you would draw out i'd be really interested yeah there's that. there's fantastic stuff around and about so there's the books beyond words series um, that Baroness Hollins uh, is involved with, which is fabulous, but that's aimed at people with no literacy at all. So it's just pictures that can be talked through with people. So that's really accessible information, um, but it requires a conversation to make it happen. And, and there's books beyond words that focus on loads of different aspects of the justice system. So family law, uh, criminal law, sexual relationships, and so on. So that's a really good set of materials. Uh, aimed at people without any literacy at all. Um, Change, um, who are a fabulous easy read production company, have produced guides to all sorts of other areas of law as well, which are uh, pictures, very descriptive hand-drawn pictures and text about lots of different things uh, as well. So those are two that I would look at. Change, changepeople.org and um, Books Beyond Words, for example, of how to really do easy read information. In terms of how not to do easy read information, um, wonderful as the plain language summary that the Supreme Court put up about the JB case last week was as a plain language summary, it was plain language, it wasn't easy read. So it wasn't necessarily accessible to the people who that case would be affecting the lives of, um, because it was still quite complicated. Um, and it is possible to describe the tests and the the, the legal tests say for um, capacity to engage in sexual relations or consent to sexual relations, depending on which way JB goes, um, in accessible ways, in easy read ways, because both change and books beyond words have done it, uh, because it's something that affects people's lives. Now, in legal terms, and sort of at the level that you work at as a barrister, um, we're talking, you're talking about the very detailed intricacies of law. And that's not really what I'm aiming at. What I'm aiming at are um, the way when people are using law in their everyday lives. So mm. when they're, say, um, entering into a tenancy agreement or they are um, making a lasting power of attorney or if they have a deputy appointed in their lives, legal information that explains to them what that person is for, what they're doing, what they can do, what they can't do. 
Um, and there's a really good guide to health and welfare power of attorney that's recently been published on the um, MenCap website uh, that was produced by Caroline Bluska. Uh, um, and that's fabulous because it's, it's a support guide. It's easy read. It's got plain English stuff for supporters to help people um, with learning disability to make health and welfare power of attorney and to understand what's going on. The thing that I find really annoying is that it's taken an independent solicitor to make that information for a charity. I don't understand why the Office of the Public Guardian haven't made easy read guides to lasting power of attorney and deputyship. I think one would have to take it up with them, but yes, it is It is very striking. I mean, it's also very striking. It's just, I mean, this is a, a fair, well, a, a long time after powers of attorney came into, you know, the ability yeah. to make, especially, well, particularly a health and welfare power of attorney, a very long time after that came into force for the first time. I'm really giving something, I mean, there's something incredibly powerful about a health and welfare lasting power of attorney. I mean, especially yeah. that this, the, the idea that you do, wouldn't necessarily need to have the ability to make each individual decision, yes. so long as you know and are able to understand, use, way, retain the fact you're giving authority to someone. And that's, Absolutely. You know, that's sort of particularly... Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, my, in my research, I spoke to a young man with autism who told me about why he'd made lasting power of attorney and made his mum his power of attorney for health and welfare matters. And it was because when he was in, you know, he, had, he was very able in lots and lots of ways, but when he was in really high stress medical interactional context, he couldn't talk. He panicked. He just wanted to escape. But he explained to me very clearly why he knew that he could trust his mum to make those decisions for him. And that's when health and welfare power of attorney really comes into its own, I think, for people um, like that young man that I spoke to with autism. Um, but it took him a long time to be able to get the information that he needed and his mum to get the information that she needed in order to know that they were doing the right thing in that regard, because the information out there is complicated. Now, some lawyers will say, well, law is complicated. Um, and it's not easy to explain it in accessible ways. And I totally agree with uh, with uh, Sophie O'Connell from Wolferstan Solicitors and Philippa Bragman, who was former CEO of Change and is now um, an independent consultant facilitator. We've been running the Clarity Project, um, which took place from sort of October, November last year through to the spring of this year. And we were looking at explaining a bunch of different uh, capacity law concepts in accessible ways to people with learning disabilities and family carers. Um, and you know what? It was really hard. It took a load of prep time to do any of these things. Uh, Sophie and I, um, as the sort of people who knew about the law, were terrified that we wouldn't be able to explain it in, in good ways. And every time I failed to explain myself in an accessible way, I saw it as a failure on my part rather than a failure on the part of my audience to understand. And I think that's where we need to start shifting the discourse in mental capacity law away from you don't have the capacity to understand what I'm telling you to I'm not explaining this well enough to help you to understand. So it's another dimension of the supported decision making, support for decision making. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes. No, I, I think that's a really powerful point. I wonder whether there's a bit of it, which is. Uh, I mean, this, shoot me down if this is entirely wrong, because I suspect it might be. And in the context of LPS, say, the drafting is incredibly complicated in some places because it's doing very complicated stuff. 
the analogy I try and use with people sometimes, it's like a bit like a Swiss watch. I mean, you wouldn't have a hope of understanding the mechanism of a Swiss watch. You need to know the time. And I wonder whether some of it is sometimes the lawyers, and you know, myself included, being so worried that we need to make sure we explain the workings of the Swiss watch. We kind of get actually 99% of the time, that's utterly irrelevant. Like it's utterly irrelevant for the person without a disability. It's yeah. actually, well, what is the effect? What does this mean for you? And it's how you kind of take that leap going, oh, I'm just going to, it doesn't matter they don't know all of the underlying mechanism, the output is. And if you can't understand, if you can't explain the output, something's gone wrong with your understanding of the mechanism, part of the else. Absolutely. The, the average layperson doesn't need to know the intricacies of how the law gets to a particular point. They don't need to be able to read the statute. Lucky them. Um, but we can translate that into things that, are understandable because that's what legal training enables you to do it enables you to take all of this really complicated information and distill it into something that comes out that makes sense to a person who hasn't had the legal training and i think too often perhaps when lawyers are talking to each other it's a competition about who can sound cleverest and who can come up with the cleverest argument i might be being unfair but there's a lot of that that goes on but when we're talking to members of the public and when we're trying to give advice to members of the public in particular and to give legal information to members of the public, we need to leave all of that big words, jargon, complicated concepts behind and distill it into, well, this is what this means for you and your life, actually. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I mean, it's, I mean, I, on things like easy read versions or accessible versions of say the code of practice you know we're, we're still waiting for as at the time of recording the draft code of practice you know the big update to the mca code with the new lps stuff bolted on which is going to be you know several hundred pages by anyone's reckoning mm -hmm. the discussion about what it means to have an accessible version of that mm -hmm. i'm i mean i'm not directly involved but i i keep sort of thinking well is it better to have try and reduce that to 200 pages with pictures or is it better to have a kind of almost bill of rights saying this is what you could expect from someone you know in other words you're engaging with someone what could you expect them to do and i'd be just genuinely fascinated to know from what so, you work easy read is all about trying to distill the core of something in a way that makes it accessible. So you're not trying to translate a 500 page document with every sentence into uh, very simple sentences with accompanying pictures because that would turn it into a 2000 page document that nobody would go anywhere near. And so it would be pointless and inaccessible. So for the code of practice, it's the parts of that that are most relevant to the lives of people with learning disabilities or dementia or whatever cognitive impairment it is that causes them to have issues with capacity. Um, so it's about distilling the key points rather than providing an entire summary. But in that distilling of the key points, you have to cover the key points. So there's no point in only covering the bit about best interests or only covering the bit about um, supported decision-making. It has to, to be as much of a description as possible um, of what you know and it might be these are what your rights are under the mental capacity act and that's the this is what the mental capacity act means for you but also the code of practice itself needs to be excessively written it needs to be written in plain english and it needs to be understandable by people who are not legally trained because that's the whole point of it 
So what we should have is the legislation, which is most understandable to people who are legally trained and the accompanying case law and interpretation of that. Then the code of practice, which is accessible to people with a lower level of understanding of the detail of the text of the legislation. And then a summary, which is about how it affects the people whose lives are affected by it. Yeah. And writing that kind of information is hugely skilled work and there are people with fabulous skills in doing that kind of work people who do it all the time a thing that we forget is that you know communication is a skill it's something that we don't necessarily learn how to do when we're uh, at law school or when we're teaching future lawyers in law school we don't necessarily teach lawyers how to communicate well with people with learning disabilities for example um, we don't necessarily teach people how to communicate in plain english but if <laughs> The vast majority of people in our country have a much lower standard of written language comprehension than we might expect. Um, the, the estimates vary, but it's somewhere around, I think 70% of the population has a reading age of somewhere between nine and 11, um, which is much lower than we might think. Mm. So communicating well, communicating in plain English, communicating in short sentences that make sense. That's where it's at. Sorry, my smile is I'm, I'm notorious. You ever read anything I wrote? I, I'm full of soft clauses. Yes, I must do better. No, but I think, that's, but I think, I think the point, we're sort of beginning to get to the end here, um, which is annoying because there are lots, lots of things I'd like to ask you. But I think there's something really interesting, really important about the fact that you almost, it's almost don't leave the production of the accessible material to the people who are actually responsible for producing the underlying stuff. I mean, it's a bit like legislative drafting. Do not, under any circumstances, try and draft your own legislation. Go and find someone whose specialist skill is translating your idea into law. Yeah, absolutely. It's a skill. And it's, I mean, it's a skill that you can learn, but in learning it, you will do it wrong a few times along the way and produce things that aren't as accessible as they could be. I think the key thing for me in all of this, and if there's one thing that I want to, to people to take away if they've watched this, it's that remember, if you're a person with learning disability or who has... Uh, dementia or who has an acquired brain injury or a neurodegenerative disorder of some kind having to ask to make it be explained more clearly is dangerous for you having to say I don't understand puts you in a very vulnerable position because someone can take away your ability to make that choice or to do that thing uh, on the basis of a cap capacity assessment so as people who are powerful in the giving of information, we need to recognize the power that we have in those situations and use it in a way that makes it safe for people to say, I don't understand. So check, am I expressing myself clearly enough? Did you understand those words? Uh, were there any words that I said that are too complicated for you? And it's amazing what difference that can make. Um, you know, we had some fabulous conversations in our clarity seminars around all sorts of complex legal phenomenon um, in plain language with people with learning disabilities, with family carers, all coming from different perspectives and all talking together. And it was a wonderful experience. It was hard work. And I had to learn to communicate in a different way. And, and you know, I think we all need to learn how to communicate in a different way. And remember that if we can break down these barriers around the power of language, uh, we can make a big difference to people's lives. Yeah. No, it's, it is. It's it is. It's really, it's so true, and it's, I, it is definitely, 
as the lawyer in the room, occasionally the exhausting bit going, I've actually had to work very, very hard to get this information across, but it's my job to do so. And it's my job not to leave, almost leave the room until I can see either the light of understanding come on, or if that light doesn't come in that, on in that way, someone else to go, actually, yes, I think this, you know, it's clear that this person has grasped what I'm saying. And I think that bit and reminding ourselves that it's almost the only bit of the act, actually, which actually gives any meat to supporting decision making say you've got to explain this in a way the person can understand like that's a yeah. statute responsibility so the power is on there absolutely and and the duty is on the person doing the explaining to do everything practicable yeah to help that person to understand yeah which is a non as i always say in my training it's not cuddly it's a legally legal duty so rosie yeah. thank you so much for flash uh, for, for, for fleshing that out if people want to know more about the clarity project where where can they find that out uh, they can find it on my blog and website which is legalcapacity.org.uk brilliant it's a it's a, and i wanted to make sure that was plugged it's a, it's a marvelous website and you do, there's just fascinating stuff on there as well really and really practical stuff which i just think is brilliant. yeah i mean that's what i'm all about i'm all about looking at how law works practically in people's lives. Brennan, thank you so much, Rosie, for your time. Lovely to speak to you, Alex.